truth, I'll have another confession this week, is, is this, is that often for the majority of my Christian life, this was how I viewed prayer. And I'm going to share it because I think a lot of us here today still wrestle uh, or have this tendency to think this way about prayer. And this is my thought process. I don't really like to pray. And I don't pray that much because I don't like to pray. But the Bible says to pray. And really mature varsity squad Christians, they pray a lot. So this is what I'm going to do. Um, so we, that's our thought process of, oh, I just need to level up spiritually, so let me set some goals. So about like five or six years ago, I set a goal. It was called Heads Up, Seven Up. By the way, if you set a goal to pray, that's great. That's great for X amount of Heads Up, Seven Up. The goal was this. I got it from a, a good book, and the goal was this. It was every time you wake up in the morning, set a timer for seven minutes, and the very first thing you do is you pray. Heads Up, Seven Up, right? That's great. Just not what I did with that practice, okay? So there came a day where, uh, you know, I set this goal, and I got all my bags packed. I'm about to go to the office. Not this office. I was at, on staff at another church. I'm going up the stairs out of my basement apartment, and all of a sudden I remember, heads up, seven up. I, I, I forgot to pray. Classic, right? When you set goals. And so this was, my, this was literally my response. Oh, dang it. I got to pray. Threw my bag on the ground, and... Uh, kneeled at the coffee table in the living room and set the timer and was just sending, sharing to the ceiling one of the, the most like pathetic prayers that like, Lord, just filling time, right? You ever pray where you fill time? Just me? Okay, anyways. Uh, filling time, God, we just pray for world peace. We, we pray for, you know, whatever. And just, and I'm looking at the clock and like, oh my gosh, only a minute's gone by. How am I going to fill this time, right? That's my approach. And out of nowhere, out of nowhere in that moment of prayer, I heard this still small voice of God, and I heard this thought flash upon my mind. Nick, do you love me? Nick, do you love me? And in that moment, I, I, was, I was stunned. I was staggered. I'm going, oh, was that God? Who, who was that? Someone's talking to me, like that still small voice, right, of the Lord. And immediately, that was a shocking question because in that moment, I couldn't say yes. I couldn't say yes. And what I was trying to do with my pursuit of prayer, I was trying to hone a practice to become a mature Christian. All the while, my heart, church, my heart was being hardened, not softened to God in that moment. And so that's, that's the key differentiation, where if I were to come up here and say, you need to be a more mature Christian, you need to, <laughs> dang it, every time I move my hands, uh, you need to pray more, um, you could actually be hardening your heart in the process and not softening your heart to the love of God. Because in that moment, I actually wasn't loving God. I, I wanted nothing to do with God. I didn't even want to pray in that moment. And the Lord, this sweet, still, small voice of the Lord was, Nick, do you love me? And that, my friends, was this beautiful thread that began to unravel for me of this legalistic, dead orthodoxy that I was living. And it was through that, that, that first thread of that question of, wait a second, maybe this whole relationship thing is about loving God and not just sidelining God and doing the disciplines. Maybe God's inviting me to abide with him through the disciplines. And that's what we're aiming at in prayer is, so John, I really can't move up here. Man, it's going to be so tough. Okay, I'm going to do my best, church. Uh, the target we're aiming at at prayer is getting to know a living person who, who's waiting for us, who loves to hear from us. And that's what we're going to see in the, the avalanche of scriptures I have this morning. So uh, we're going to read John 15. And we're going to see the invitation of Jesus, John 15, 1 through 7. As is our habit, I'm going to invite you, the verses will be on the screen, I'm going to invite you to turn into your Bibles, read aloud with me. But at the same time, too, if uh, when you read aloud, you're not focusing on actually what the content is because you're worried about 
uh, what you're saying or how to say it right. Sometimes I struggle with that. Just sit, just sit there and silently read to yourself because we want the Word of God, the Word, His truth, to dwell in our hearts and minds here. So focus on what is being said to you through God's Word as we read this together. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. For if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, and we come before you uh, with mouthful of praise that we can come to you because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Thank you, Jesus. You made a way where there was no way. Thank you, Jesus, that you tore the veil through absorbing the wrath of God that we deserve. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given us the gift of prayer, the gift of eternal, never-ceasing, never-ending communion and union with the living God. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of prayer that we know you hear us, Father. And you love to hear from us because your word says so. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and you would apply these truths to our hearts and our minds. Where there's doubt, where there's unbelief, would you shatter that? Would you give us the gift of faith and, and just an accurate view of who you are and where you're seated, God? This has been a rough, rough week for our hearts, a rough week for our nation, Lord Jesus. And so we cry out to you, we cry out to the King of Kings, and to the Lord of Lords, and we ask that you would let repentance start, not in the White House, but in your house, God, in the church. May we stop, as, as, as Joe was saying, Lord, uh, Lord, forgive us. May repentance start here. May repentance start in our, in our hearts, Lord Jesus, all the ways we trusted in horses and, and chariots and not trusted in the living God. Turn your church back to you, Jesus, in repentance. Turn our eyes back to the the greater king and the greater kingdom that we belong to. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is, to be, that is to come. So thank you, God, that you are present with us, Lord God, and that you reign forever, that your kingdom will never end. Come have your way with your word and your people this morning. And I pray that you would increase, you would magnify in our hearts and our minds, Jesus, and that I would decrease up here. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, well, hey, the context of the upper room, uh, the context of our passage is the upper room discourse. Talked about this again last week. If you weren't able to listen to the sermon last week, it'd probably be really helpful for you to listen to that to frame uh, the rest of the series here. But Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples in John 15. Uh, he's sharing, this is kind of his deathbed message, some of the last things that he's going to say to them before he gets betrayed and goes to uh, the cross. And in verse 7, we're going to be looking at verse 7 primarily in our sermon today. And primarily what Jesus says in verse 7 is one of the most stunning things that could ever be said about prayer. And often we miss, we miss this. We just kind of gloss over it. And this is what Jesus says, in case you forgot, in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever, and it will be done for you. 
Man, all right. Stay still, Nick. Mercy. All right. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Here's how wild and stunning and staggering what Jesus is saying here when he says, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. It's almost as if Jesus Christ is saying this. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Hey, can someone give me the announcer mic? Brian Hall, you got it. Sorry for the technical difficulties. All right, all right. Okay. Wow, there you go. There it is. All right, boom. All right, so our initial response when we hear uh, uh, verse 7, well, we go, we go, well, oh, oh, of course Jesus didn't mean that, Nick. And so what we do is then, then, then the temptation is for me to come and preach a sermon for 45 minutes talking about all the things that God doesn't do, Right? Right? Hey, let's clarify this. Let's add a thousand stipulations on this. Uh, and, and what I want to do today is I want us, I'm going, to, I'm going to get there for those who are wrestling with this tension, but I want us to sit today in the tension between a promise from the lips of our Savior and our unbelief in what he said. I want to sit in that tension. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna camp out there. All right? We're going to sit in that tension. Because I don't want to coddle and pamper doubt and unbelief today in what Jesus can do and what he says he can do, right? And for, for, for me, I've just seen God do so many miraculous and awesome things this past year and a half of my life that I'm not going to rush to make Jesus say things that he didn't say uh, when Jesus could have said anything that he wanted to about prayer. That's the simple truth. Jesus knew what he meant when he was saying this to us. And he doesn't, and I'm going to prove this, it's not just one verse here, church. This ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And I'll, and I'll talk about word of faith movement and what, what I'm not saying up here. Nobody walk out just yet. Don't cancel me yet. But John 15, we're going to look at five other verses, five other verses in Scripture that talk about two things. One, God's, God's open invitation to relentlessly ask him for what you need. And then two, two, God's ability to deliver that which you need when you ask him, okay? But look at all these verses, if Jesus, if Jesus, uh, we, we submit to the authority of God's word here, if the avalanche of scriptural evidence in the New Testament was for me to uh, put your expectations in the ground for what God can accomplish, I would do that. We don't see Jesus doing that today. In the text of scripture, I want to preach the word to you and instill faith and hope that we serve a mighty God. We serve a resurrected king. We serve a king who is on the throne and who is mighty and able to deliver what he promised. John 15, 16. Don't, don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. John 16, 23 through 24. We're still in the upper room. Jesus is still in the upper room with his disciples. And again and again and again, he's saying, ask me whatever you wish. John 16, in that day you will ask me of nothing. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. And again, we talked about this last week, John 15, 11. Jesus says, abide in me so that my joy I want to give to you so that your joy may be full and overflowing. And Jesus is saying in John 16, y'all aren't asking enough. That's what he's saying to the disciples. You're not asking me. I'm inviting you to ask me. And if you don't have joy, come to me and ask me so that I can give you your joy and your joy can be full. 1 John 5, 14 through 15. And this is the confidence. Confidence, faith, 
assurance that God hears us and he's mighty to deliver what he's promised. Assurance of God. This is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, again, there's a, there's a clarification there. We'll talk about that near the conclusion. According to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever, again, whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. This is wild stuff, church. And I'll confess my own unbelief this week. I got two more verses I'm going to share. That my wife looked at me this week as we're looking at John 15, 7, and she goes, wow, isn't it crazy that we can go to Jesus and ask him whatever we want? And my initial reaction as a seminary-trained pastor was, no, we can't. We can't do that. No, 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 we can't do that. So I understand the tension. I live, I still live in that tension, right? Because I saw it this week where, where we're going off of uh, the, the words, uh, inspired word of God and not inspired word saying, ask anything. Ask whatever you wish. Ask, ask, ask. Mark eleven twenty two through 24. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I, I love that. Jesus says, Jesus says, have faith in God. Church, have an accurate understanding of where your God is seated and what, and, where, and what he's capable of doing in your life. Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. These are the words of Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, whatever you ask, believe that you have received it and, and, and it will be, be yours. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. I mean, I could keep going here. I can go all day. Ask, and it will be given to you. These are the words of Jesus. These are my words. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, Jesus says. Everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you? And and, and then Jesus immediately rushes us to the heart of the Father. That we have a good Father. Look at what he says about God's heart. Which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things? Give good things to those who ask him. God loves to lavish good gifts upon his kids. That's what we see here. Words of Jesus. And if you're triggered here right now, by what I'm saying, you have to take it up with Jesus, all right? And I will clarify this, but we're going to sit in the tension here, okay? If you're triggered here, and again, this is not word of faith. Word of faith, I'm not saying that. Uh, gab it and grab it, or name it and claim it. Uh, in that theology, which is, which is a, a, a serious error, uh, you're God, and God has to do your bidding. That's not, that's not what we're saying here. But we're not going to respond to that, that error, that, that, that false understanding of what Jesus is saying, Jesus is not saying word of faith here. Name it and claim it. That is, or speaking things into existence. We're not, we're not God. God is God. But, but we take that heresy, and we go all the way over here, and we validate our doubt and our unbelief and our lack of faith when Jesus commands us right here in Mark 11, have faith in God. That God can answer our prayers. That, that he's mighty and able, and he loves to hear from us, and he loves to answer our prayers. And the first impression we get from, from an avalanche of what I just showed you in the New Testament and the words, of, the words of Jesus himself is this, is that God the Father wants to hear from you, right? 
God loves it when you come to him with your needs. It's almost a perpetual refrain we see in the upper room and the verses I just read. As Jesus is shouting and jumping up and down, he's saying, ask, 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 talk to me. I want to hear from you. Don't hold back. Come to me with all your needs, both big and little. I love to hear from you. We worship and serve a God who loves to hear from his kids. Loves to hear from his kids. And he invites his kids to unrelentlessly ask him, like, without mercy, just going for it, right? And he's a good father. Uh, So this past week, commercial break, I want to go on the record and say thank you, Transit Church, for loving my family so well these past couple months, six and a half weeks since we've had the baby, baby boy. I I have been eating like royalty in my house, and it hasn't stopped, and you all are awesome. Jen and I have looked at each other almost every day. We get a, we, you know, every other day or whatever, we get a meal sent to us or, or dropped off to us, and I, I, we're just blown away. We're just stunned how amazing the body of Christ is, like, like the love of God shown through you guys. So thank you. Thank you for that. This past week, someone came, and you know who you are. They brought a cat with them, which was awesome. My kids loved it. My kids lost their minds, okay? The cat was there playing with the cat, all this stuff. And um, think, of, think of this if you're a parent here today. God the Father says, you ask me unrelentlessly. Don't you hold back. You ask, you ask, you ask, you ask. When that person left with that cat, if I had a dime for every time my kids asked me to get, get them a cat, I would have enough money to cover the first emergency medical bill, vet, vet, veterinarian bill for that cat. You tracking with me? Daddy, I want to get a cat. I want to get a cat. Why can't we get a cat? I want a cat. I want a cat. I don't care if you're allergic. We want a cat. Like, let's go. Cat, 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 cat. C-A-T. Cat, cat, cat. Like, that was the refrain unceasingly to the point that there were some consequences involved if I got asked again, all right? And then, and then and that's the week that I'm preparing and, and, and marinating in these texts where God says, you come to me like a kid comes to their dad wanting a cat because I'm a good father. Even you who are evil, right, and hate cats. Even you are, even you, I'm a better father. I'm a good father. I love it when my kids come, uh, come to me. And it's more than that. It's more than that. Watch this. We see the heart of Jesus has his, Jesus has your best interest in mind when he shares this church. He has the best interest in mind for his disciples when he talks about this. It's almost as if Jesus' chief concern with his disciples is not his being annoyed by their over-asking, but his fear that they never ask him for anything. Why would that be a concern? Because if we're not asking for our needs, then we're clueless to how desperate we truly are and how truly desperate we are for him to come and meet those needs. And this is what Jesus clearly articulates in John 15. We talked about this last week. Self-sufficiency is a spiritual death sentence for the Christian. Self-sufficiency, I don't need to pray. I don't have any needs. I got this. Like, I can do this on my own. God, just give me the commands. I don't need you. I don't want you. I just need the book, right? Uh, We love the book. We love God's word. But Jesus says, apart from me, you can't do anything. Jesus knows self-sufficiency for the Christian is a spiritual death sentence. These are the words of Christ. That's what he says. When he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. You want an illustration for what it looks like for you to detach from me, then just go look outside, rip a branch off of a tree, put it in your house, and see how how long it stays alive. It withers. It dies. That's what Jesus says. Self-sufficiency is a spiritual death sentence 
And the beautiful part about this continual, perpetual invitation of Jesus to ask, 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 is the assumption behind that is that you and I have needs. You and I have needs. And the primary way, and I'll illustrate this in more scriptures talking about prayer, is the primary way God invites us to come is to come to him with our needs. With our needs. Not with self-righteous, legalistic, holiness, mustering up, King James English, oh, thou art, you know, whatever, and, and you know, whatever. No, like coming to him as a kid, coming to him with our mess, and I'll illustrate this. Well, one, shameless plug, Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life. Uh, Jeff Toomer introduced that to me uh, a couple years ago, and outside of the Bible, that book has been one of the most impactful books in my life and how it's led me to the heart of God and it's changed my life. A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Uh, it's in my office. I'm not going to let anyone... Le- I, I lent out uh, my copy of Happiness by Randy Alcorn last week. Uh, a Praying Life I keep close. No one's taking that from me. You can go buy it on Amazon. Um, Paul Miller says this. He says, a secret to a better praying life is not more discipline. It's more desperation. It's more desperation. And he even says this in his book. He says, prayer is helplessness. Prayer is helplessness. Prayer is coming with your lack to a God of abundance. Prayer is coming with your lack to a God of abundance who loves, who loves to give us things that we ask him according to. What we see in John 15, God loves to give us more of his love, more of his joy, more of his peace. And this is what we see throughout scripture is that prayer is us kind of reenacting the gospel where we're encouraged to come to God just as we are with our lack, our deficits, our great needs. And when we do that, God promises to meet our needs because he loves to do that. He gets so much glory in that. Mark 10, 28. Come to me, Jesus says, come to me. Again, open invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying, if you're a burnt out mess, your hair's all frizzled or you lost all your hair and your beard's turning gray, come to me with that burden, with that stress, I long to give you rest. How do we come to Jesus? We come to him in prayer. In prayer. And Jesus invites us to come to him in prayer with the baggage, with the burden. Philippians 4, 5 through 7. I love this. The Lord is at hand. Verse 5. The Lord is at hand. It's beautiful. What should we do because God is with us? Because the Lord is at hand? Should we run away? Should we keep our distance? Should we not ask him? That's not what Paul says here. Philippians 4, 5 through 7. The Lord is at hand. Now don't be anxious about anything. So again, we see here, if you're anxious and worried, here's what the Apostle Paul would encourage you to do. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in everything, big and small and everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. God wants to hear what's on your heart. He wants to hear your anxiety, your stress, your fear, your worry. He wants to hear it. We have an invitation to come to God in anxious, worried mess, and then a promise that as we do that, God loves to give us a peace, a supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding, and it guards our minds and our hearts from thoughts that aren't true about where he is and who he is and what he's capable of doing. James 5, 13 through 15. Is any among you suffering? Well, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Well, let him sing praise. Like in everything, in everything you do, pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. The will of God for you is to be praying without ceasing, crying out for what you need, thanking God, rejoicing. So if you're happy today and you're clapping and you're cheerful, it's been a good day for you, well then, well then let God know, praise him, because he's the giver of all good things. He's the giver of joy. Is any among you sick? 
let him call for the elders of the church. Let, him, uh, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Basically, physically, spiritually, what's going on, let God know about it and see what God does with it. Right? That's the formula. What's going on? The Lord's saying, I'm here. I want to hear from you. Like, tell me. I'm a God of abundance, and I love to lavish good gifts upon my kids. And here's the simple truth. It's often because of our weakness and our lack that we keep our distance from God. Our sins, our burdens, oh, I can't take that to God, so we'll run elsewhere. I'm going to take it here. When God has perpetually invited us to come to him in prayer based upon our need for him so that he can get glory in this. It's this. It's the simple truth is this of, of everything we just talked about is that if we never come to God in our affliction, we'll never get to know him as our comforter. Are you guys tracking me? So all the needs that we come to, prayer is getting to know more of the depths of God and the different manifestation of his grace to us through his son Jesus. So if you're sick and you come to God and, yes, go to the doctors and, yes, take the antibiotics, yes, get the vaccine, so on and so forth, whatever, but also pray. Have, have me, Joe, inside you pray over you, right? And see what God does with that. If you're here today and you're wrestling with anxiety, right, the scriptures would encourage you, go to the Prince of Peace and get to experience more of the peace that he has to offer you. As we go with our needs, we get to experience God as comforter, as healer, as, as provider. When we go to him with our lack and, and our poverty, our financial need, and then we get to see him. He's, he's a God who owns a, thousand, a, cow, a cattle on a thousand hills, right? We get to see him as provider. And so basically what we see is the more desperation and the greater our needs and the greater our prayers, the greater the knowledge we have of God, of who he is and what he's capable of doing. And so the second impression we get, it goes a step further, is this. It's not just that God loves to hear from us and invites us to come to him relentlessly, but he lo- we have a God who loves to give to us, church. This is what the scripture clearly teaches. We have a God of abundance who loves to give to us. And that's the promise in these texts is the promise of divine intervention in your life. That's what Jesus is saying, the promise of divine intervention, where the, where the unseen, transcendent, immaterial God will break into the natural and intervene in your life. And when we talk about prayer, when we look at these verses, listen, again, think about all the things Jesus could have said about prayer. We don't see Jesus quenching our expectations of what God can do, right? We don't see Jesus quenching our expectations In fact, what we see Jesus do in in the scriptures that I just read, we see Jesus setting our expectations on fire for what God can do in prayer. Jesus knows what he's saying. Jesus knows what he's doing. And it's just so interesting that I was reading these questions, these, these texts. It seems that Jesus doesn't want our expectations of what God can do to be buried in the sand in doubt from the basis of what Jesus is saying from what I'm understanding from all the verses I read about prayer, it seems like Jesus wants to send our expectations through the roof of what our God is capable of doing. That's, what, that's the impression I get. And the tragedy in the West is we've been so, and, I, and I've wrestled with this for sure, is we've been so influenced by naturalism and materialism that there is no supernatural, that there is no even supernatural in the Christian faith, even though we worship a resurrected Savior, um, that we quench the spirit of the living God. And so as a result, because we have no faith for God to intervene in the present as we pray and we ask him to, we don't pray. Why? Because God's not going to do anything. 
We don't have any faith. That's why faith is so important to prayer. If we believe that God is sitting on his hands and he, and he isn't mighty to intervene in our present circumstances and give us peace in the midst of our anxiety or comfort in the midst of our infliction or uh, joy in the midst of our sorrow, we're not going to pray because God doesn't do that. And then therefore, and then therefore, watch this, we're going to run to all, all other idols to give us that comfort, right, to give us those comforts. And if I were to ask you today, let me illustrate this. And if I were to ask you guys today, we love the word of God here. Let me, let me say this. We love God's word. Right? It is our daily bread. Man, I, 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 like, don't hear me say something I'm not saying here, all right? If I ask this question, who here today believes God's word, the Bible, is living and active today? Everyone would say yes and amen. And then you would boast about what the Bible is able to do, right? It is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, righteousness. It is the inspired word of God. Man, I couldn't, I couldn't even shut you up with everything you're going to boast about the word of God. And then if we're asked a follow-up question and say, who here today believes that God himself is living and active today. There's a tension. We need to clarify. We need to add stipulations. Why? We believe the book is living and active, but the author isn't? I mean, come on, right? And nowhere in the book does it say that the living and active God from Genesis to Revelation is no longer living and active. And the words of my Savior are repeatedly, the repeated refrain, at least from what I see from Scripture, is expectations through the roof and not false expectations. Jesus is not a liar, not false expectations. Jesus just knew who his father was. Faith is an accurate understanding of the power and the might and the wonder and the glory and the awesomeness of the God we worship. That's what faith is. And when you begin to understand that, you begin to, uh, oh, man, I'm getting fired up over here. I got to calm down. Sorry, guys. Um, we worship and serve a lion who shot out of the grave and conquered death, conquered the devil and conquered our sins. And he is still on the move in mighty ways, still on the move in mighty waves. And the king of kings, the insanity of prayer is that that mighty king loves to hear from us and loves to be glorified in how he meets our needs in prayer, loves it. And what faith looks like, I was listening to Kirk Franklin this morning, get fired up. Kirk Franklin's got a song called He's Able. Anyone here know He's Able? Okay. I'm tempted to sing it because it fires me up. I'll just say it, okay? He's able. That's faith. He's able. He's able. He said he'd help me through it. I know that he can do it. He's able. I have faith. I've tasted and seen the goodness of God, the power of God. I take him at his word, and he's able. I'm not going to walk in doubt. I'm not going to walk in unbelief. I'm going to walk in the fact that my God is a mighty God. We serve and worship a mighty God, and that's the beautiful truth of, of Scripture. And, and, and I, used to, I used to walk in that doubt and unbelief, and then the Lord's done some mighty things in my life, and Paul Miller praying life. Again, uh, through Paul Miller's praying life, and just really accessible, I highly encourage you to read that book, is this, is that, uh, this is what I want to say. As you begin to pray, and you come to God as, as a kid, and you have needs, and you just, you continually share it. Share those needs, and you write it down, and you begin to see God do what he's promised to do in his word and answer prayers, specific, tangible prayers, your mind is blown, your faith is skyrocketed, and all of a sudden you go back to scripture and you go, oh, Jesus said that all along. I just wasn't asking. I wasn't writing it down. I wasn't pressing in. I was just going around trying to meet all my needs. And then, and then listen, watch this. As you begin to see the mighty God, the mighty king of kings begin to intervene and show up in mighty ways, you almost, this is the temptation, you almost want to live in a continual position of lack so that God can come and show up, 
so you can pop popcorn, shoot out your prayer, prayer requests, and just wait and see. I know he's coming. I'm going to wait and see, right? I could share stories. I don't want to whatever, but um, ask him. He's listening, and see what he does. Take Jesus at his words. I got nothing but red ink. I put red ink on all the verses uh, on my manuscript here. It's God's word, right? And now let's get to the clarification. Of course, the rebuttal is this. Nick, are you saying God is a cosmic slot machine who will give you literally whatever we ask whenever we ask him? Like, name it, claim it, uh, gab it, grab it, you know, like, like you have to do it because you said so. No, of course, of course, I'm not saying that, and I don't think scripture is saying that uh, either. God wouldn't be a good all-wise father if he just gave us whatever we asked, right? And I think all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we can look back on the history of our lives and... <laughs> And, you know, like in middle school, as we're praying, God, like, oh, like, that's going to be my wife. And you look back, and you're like, thank you, God, for not answering that prayer, <laughs> you know? Like, we look back on prayer requests, we're praying, like, thank you, God, you're an always father. It wasn't according to your will. You know best. God, you know best. Your will be done, not my will um, be done. And we know this to be true, because if my daughter, my oldest daughter came to me, who's four, and said, Daddy, I really want a flamethrower. All the other kids have flamethrowers. And... Uh, I want one. I want one. I want a flamethrower. And you said that, you know, you love to give good gifts to me. I, I would look at her and say, Kelsey, you, you'd burn my house down. I'm not going to give you a flamethrower. Uh, the way I answer prayer requests is yes, no, or later. So let me go talk to your mom, right? And maybe in a couple of weeks I'll get you that flamethrower, all right? Because daddy wants to play with it too. Um, but we know God is all wise. He's a good father, right? He's a good father. And, um, and a key interpretive tool to understanding the clarification or the conditions of those promises, let's go back to verse 7, is this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for, for you. Let me repeat that. Jesus says there's this conditional. There's an if. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done with you. I think what Jesus is getting out here is he's saying this, is if you stay relationally connected with me to the point that you're letting my words, my truth, my voice, dwell and remain in your mind, in your heart, in your soul. It's from that place of abiding in my love that your desires are going to begin to get transformed. Your desires, your asking, your prayers will be, your heart desires will be more in line with my heart desires, and so that you'll cry out and you'll begin to ask whatever you wish, and those prayers will bring a smile to my face because they're in alignment with my Father's will, and then boom, here you, here you go. And so what we see here is as we abide and stay in constant, close communion with Jesus, we will desire, we will desire what he desires, and we'll ask for what he wants from us. And this is what we know to be true, right? The more you hang out with somebody, the more you begin to talk like them and, and, and want what they want, so on and so forth. So I was on a, a road trip with my brother and another friend uh, this weekend, and we were driving north, and we had to get dinner. And my brother kept talking. We were talking about where we were going to go to dinner. And my brother started mentioning the arches. And I go, bro, what are you talking about, the arches? And he goes, the arches never disappoint, man. We got to go to the arches. And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, McDonald's, bro, the arches. The arches. You can see them. Look at and, and then, like, you know, the golden beams shining from, from the interstate. And I, I look at him and go, bro, you want to eat at McDonald's? Are we in third grade? Like, what are you going to get, a Happy Meal? Like, what do, you, what do you mean McDonald's? I haven't eaten McDonald's in, like, 10 years. And uh, so anyways, we go. My brother's trying to bulk up. He got two triple cheeseburgers. So if you're watching, anyways, I just told on you. But I was like, bro, what are you doing? Like, I was just totally stunned. Two triple cheeseburgers. I mean, that's crazy. Why don't you, like, throw a filet of fish and some other patties in there as well while you're at it? Um, but uh, I was complaining. But then I had a quarter pounder with cheese, church. <laughs> 
And I haven't had a quarter pounder in a long time. And I'll tell you what, that was good. And so on the way back, on the way back, you know, they're kind of giving me a hard time because I was giving them a hard time about because they were both on, on, you know, whatever. They're like, Nick, where do you want to stop? Where do you want to go? Like, uh, where do you want to go? And I was like, you know what, fellas? Let's go back to the arches. Let's go back. Let's run it back. So we went, and I got a cheeseburger. And it brought me back, all, you know, all those memories, going to the drive-thru on my birthday, getting the Happy Meal, getting the vanilla milkshake. And I told them this on the way home. I said, fellas, one of the best things that has happened to me on this trip is you guys have returned me to the arches. It was good. It was good. I even went. It was hilarious. Side note, but I went uh, the first time, not on the way back, but the first time I, I, go, uh, I go, hey, do you guys have, like, any grilled chicken, like, items? And they're like, no. McDonald's, I don't know if you know this, at least the McDonald's we were at, like, they, they got rid of all their grilled chicken, all their healthy stuff, and just, like, burgers and stuff that's fried. Anyways, the arches, they don't disappoint. So, anyways, all that to say is this, is that as I was hanging out with those guys, their desires became my desires just through proximity to the point that when I was asked, what do I want, I asked what they wanted, right? You see how that works? Through proximity, through closeness, we taste and see the goodness of God. We taste and see that Jesus clearly has something better on the table for me than me asking for a $300,000 yellow Lamborghini, uh, you know. Uh, he has things that are better for me. And this is what I'm getting at is this. Is Jesus, I believe Jesus is saying is, is this, is that when I become all satisfying to you, when I become your greatest treasure, you won't need to ask me for other idolatrous things to satisfy you. Because when I begin to meet your deepest longings and needs, your greatest joy in life becomes to know more of me and the depths of my love. And so, so the result of that was, would be this, is that we would never want to ask for anything that would lead us away from Jesus. But our prayer requests are going to change to something more like this. We'll ask him for things in our lives that will lead us to knowing him more and making him known more. When Jesus becomes all satisfying to us, we see that he can deliver what he promises, that he's truly present with us. Why in the world would we ever pray for something that would lead us further away from him, right? We want, when we abide and we get close to Jesus, we want nothing more than his name to be exalted, than his kingdom to be advanced, and our kingdom to decrease, right? When we get close to him, his desires become our desires. And so that's what we're talking about through this whole abiding series is just Jesus opens up the, the door to us and says, come and feast with me in the word. Let my words abide in you. Come feast with me. Come to your needs. Come to me with your needs and prayer. Just come to me. Don't stop. Don't stop abiding in me. And so I'll conclude with this, is that my hope uh, with this sermon uh, is this, is the lies, often it's lies we believe about God that keeps us from prayer. And some of those lies we believe about God, I wanted to shatter today through God's word. And one of those lies is that God is disinterested in the small details of my life. And the truth of that would be all the truth of God's word. It says, whatever you ask, whatever you need, uh, present your request to God who loves to hear from you, right? God is, is so interested in your life, and he wants to hear from you. The second lie, I believe, is this, that keeps us from prayer. And I, and I uh, struggled with it for a while and still have a tendency to fall back into that, is that God is angry at me. Because of my sin and my failure and my shortcomings. And what we see in John 15 is Jesus says, abide in my love, not in my anger. Abide in my joy. I want to give you fullness of joy. I want to give you love. And then uh, the last lie, there's lots of lies we believe, but the last lie is this, is that God isn't able to deliver what he promised. And in all the scriptures we read, Jesus himself says, ask whatever you wish and it will be given. Ask and you will receive. Until now you haven't asked anything. Jesus is saying, 
Ask, ask, ask. And proof of, of the shattering of all those lies that God is uninterested with us and he's angry with us and he isn't mighty to save and intervene in our lives is Romans 8. It's the gospel. It's looking to the cross. This is what the Apostle Paul says. I'll conclude with Romans 8, 31 through 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If you're here today in Christ Jesus, oh, would the Holy Spirit let you know that God is radically for you. He is so for you. How do we know that? Look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What a mighty God. What a generous God. What Paul's saying here is that proof of God's radical, sacrificial love and provision for you is the cross of Jesus Christ. That on that Friday, all of hell was poured out on the spotless lamb of God. The spotless lamb was forsaken by the Father, and his prayers went unanswered so that your prayers could get answered and your prayers could get heard. That's the love God has for you. He gave to you that which was most precious to him. John 15, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, the Father loved his Son for all of eternity. And out of love for you, he gave to you that which was most precious and valuable for you. He gave, he gave. And the logic that Paul uses here is he says this, he says, if that father gave up his one and only begotten son to redeem us and to call us back home, forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, why in the world do we think he's going to get all cheap and miserly on us moving forward? He's given us his son. Now, church, let's go to the God of abundance, who in his grace to us has given us the gift of his son, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of fellowship, the gift of prayer itself is possible because of what Jesus has done. Let's go to him knowing, too, that his heart is to give us all things according to his will in Christ Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we love you. Would you help us understand the the agony you endured of seeing your son, your precious son, absorbing our sins on the cross. Would you help us to know the magnitude of the price that was paid for our redemption? Holy Spirit, would you give us the eyes to see your love for us, your posture for us? Father, would you help us know and believe that you love us and you're for us and you love to hear from us. Would you call your children back home? I pray for anyone here who is struggling with prayer or struggling with abiding with you, Lord Jesus. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would let them know that, this, that, that your word itself invites us to come as we are to your throne. A burden, anxious mess. And in return, and in return, you promise to give us rest and peace. Uh, John 15, and joy and love. You are a God of abundance. We thank you, God, that you who have not spared your own son surely will give us all things in Christ Jesus. So we love you, Lord. 
We pray that you would be glorified in our lives, Lord Jesus. And I just pray, God, that we wouldn't hold back. We wouldn't keep our distance from you. We worship a God who hasn't kept his distance from us. And I feel like, Jesus, your greatest fear is self-sufficiency and us and us leaving, us, us tearing our hand away from your hand, God. And so I pray, Lord, that today, if anything would happen today, it would be repentance where we simply turn from self-sufficiency and we return to you. God, with open arms, saying, come to me, ask whatever you wish. I want to hear from you. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you, God. So please communicate that to our hearts and our minds today, Holy Spirit. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.